0: It happened that as Jesus made his way toward Jerusalem, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance, but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. They went, and while still on their way, became clean." One of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet, so grateful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, first of all, let me say thank you. I was glad to see you today. Uh, I saw many of you on Facebook late into the night at ball games all around. So it's good, it's good to see everybody. And good to be with you. Um, so. Uh, my, again, my name is Mark Foster, I'm founding senior pastor here, and we are finishing up our series on grateful, the transformative power of giving thanks. Uh, and so it's important that we say thank you. It's not just important that we remember um, what we're thankful for, but it's also important that we remember what we're grateful, who we're grateful to. Uh, and imagine with me, if it wasn't just hit and miss, if it just wasn't, oh, well, that's a grateful person over there, or that's a grateful person over there, what if, imagine with me. That if every person in our community, together, the power of being grateful together. What if we were known as people who at every turn were people who gave thanks, who said thank you. That we always found the good in people, uh, not the bad in people. That when somebody asks us about someone else, the first thing that came out of our mouth, the first thing that comes to mind is something that we're thankful for about them. Or the people that we're grateful to in our lives. And so just as a way to, to maybe help us do this a little bit, uh, I found this last week uh, as, as Chantel and I were, were traveling and in, in, in nature a little bit to get um, uh, renewed. Uh, we, do you all see that word? What is that word? Grateful. grateful. Yes. Yeah, so so what I want, I'm going to risk this. Hopefully there are no thieves in the house today. Um, I'm going to start over here with Tim, and um, I'm going to give this to you all. And as, as you hold it, um, I want you to just think about who you're grateful to. Uh, And when somebody comes to mind, you just pass it on. But I want you to think about who you're grateful to uh, in your life, because in my life, this is amazing. I don't know if this happens to you, Um, but so often, um, when I'll just think about a a conversation with your parents or with a good friend, Um, have you ever noticed that they always tell you about like your sibling and about how great your sibling is, Uh, or your sibling's kids? You know, your niece and your nephews, like every time you talk to your parents, they're like, oh, did I tell you what they did and what the, their award? They made a goal at soccer or whatever. Now, has, has this ever happened to you, any of you all? This, this happens all the time. And then the funny thing is when I talk to my sister, what she says to me is, you know, mom only talks about you. Like she never tells me, you know. And, and so the thing is, um, sometimes we're really good almost naturally to, to sort of brag on our friends to other people. But how often do you actually tell them? How often do you actually say to the person that you're grateful to that you are actually grateful to them or for them in their life? That's where the power really is. So if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. Um, and we're going to quickly catch up. Um, and if you'd like to know more about this transformative power of gratitude, all, all of our sermons are online there. You can get on the podcast, just go to the website and they will be there for you. So the first week we talked that gratitude is a matter of the heart, right? Uh, what's it a matter of friends of the heart? Right? And God's always been like that. All the way back to King David, Samuel was looking to his heart. He wasn't looking to his stature or uh, his resume. He was looking at his heart. And we notice that gratitude is not transactional. But it's a free response to the gift of God in our life. So when we respond to God, it's not so that God will do something for us. It's not transactional. We're not in a business relationship. And here's the thing, friends, in case you've forgotten. God doesn't need anything from you. God's God. He's good. He's good. Uh, when we say omnipotent, it means that he's all-powerful, right? And so God's not up in heaven going, ooh, I hope that person does this for me today, right? He's God. Now, our ability to give back to God uh, and to give to one another and to be grateful to one another, that's super important for our own development and our own life and our own spirit and our own practice for heaven. That is super important. But make no mistake, it's not a transaction that God needs something from you. God loves you and gifts you and how you respond to the one who loves you tells um, the world a lot about your heart, tells yourself about your heart. So gratitude is not only what we feel, but what we do, right? There's lots of things that we feel, but the way gratitude actually gets lived out is by what we, say it with me, do. It's action. Gratitude is action. And then last week, uh, Pastor Andy reminded us that gratitude is multiplied when it's practiced in community. There's sorts of things that we can do now um, that I could never do alone, could never do alone. Uh, and so this thing of, of gratefulness and ungratefulness um, is life and death. It really is. It'll transform your world, transform your life. So I want to share with you one of the ugliest words in the English language. Uh, maybe you know it. Ungrateful. Will you say that with me? Ungrateful. It just sounds bad, doesn't it? I mean, nobody wants to be this, Right? I mean, if, if someone were to describe you, one of the last things you'd want them to say is, well, you know, I know Mark and he's ungrateful. That, I mean, I would never want that to be said of me. I mean, not even once. But the problem is, of course, that it's almost impossible to see in the mirror. Gratitude and, and ungratitude, you can't go, you don't just look at yourself in the mirror and go, oh, yeah, I'm ungrateful today. Right? It's just one of those emotions that's blind. It, it takes someone else to actually point it out to you uh, and often woe to the person who points it out. Right now, this is not true with other emotions. Uh, for example, I bet you know that one. What emotion is that? Ang- see, you, this is not a hard one. Right? Uh, we know when we're angry. We look and are you know we're flushed red or pink or purple. We scowl. We huff. We groan. Ah, I mean that's that's anger. That's easy to see in the mirror. Um, and some of you will be a, 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 you know know this one. What is that? Well, yeah, of course that's sad. Everybody knows sad, right? The, the tears and the sad. Oh, the sad, right? But what is this? See, it, it, it looks a lot like ungrateful. You don't see it. It takes someone else to show it to us. And most of the time, we don't appreciate it when they do show it to us. And of course, its cousin, greed, is also hard to see. Right? You can't look at yourself and go, oh, I'm ungrateful, oh, I'm greedy. No, those are like, we mask that. You, you don't see that. So when it comes to gratitude, it's not enough to feel it, right? We've got to express it. Because unexpressed gratitude is no gratitude at all. Think about that. Will you read that with me? Unexpressed gratitude is no gratitude at all. Isn't that true? Any of you all ever sat down to a a wonderful meal? And you, you appreciated it. But did you say thank you? It's, it's a tough one, right? You see, unexpressed gratitude is no gratitude at all, isn't it? We know this in our bones. We're not very good at it. It takes practice. It's something we have to actually work into. And, and I believe this, that ungrateful is at the center of the problems with your kids, with your parents, with your grandparents, with your church. So let, let me say this now before I go any further. I am thankful for you, right? I am grateful for you. I am. I absolutely am. I cannot do what I do without you. I can only do what I do because of you. You don't show up here. It's just rehearsal, right? I mean, I do what I do because of what you do. I can't do what I do without you, right? I'm super grateful for that. Now, you, you may or may not believe that you can do what you do without me. That may be true, but I certainly can't do what I do without you. And I want you to know as your pastor that I'm grateful for every single person in this room. Every single person that invests in the ministry. Some of those people haven't even been around our church in more than a decade. And yet I am grateful for every person who brings the love of Jesus into the world. And I'm super grateful for the people called Acts 2. Wherever they live, uh, whatever day that may be. And I know this um, very, very well. Now, the converse is also true. Ingratitude can shut down an entire relationship with your parents, with spouses, with children, with coworkers. Uh, Any of you all ever had that experience uh, around the Christmas tree, and you just knew the person or the child was going to absolutely love that gift that you worked on for three months to figure it out, to get it there, to get it in time? It cost more than you thought it would, but you were so excited about it, they open it up, they're like, "Mm, Whatever. Oh, you do that at my house, so you're outside. I mean, it's like flame on, isn't it? Just, I mean, it just breaks the relationship. I experienced this a very, in a very difficult way uh, when I was at SMU. I mean, that is a beautiful campus, um, and, and there's a lot of wealth and, and joy around that place, uh, except in the preacher area. That's where the poor people hang out, uh, down at the theology quad. Now, Chantel and I lived on campus, and uh, I mean, it was a beautiful thing. But here's the truth of it. When we moved to Dallas to go to SMU, I was poor. I worked one day a week because I was in grad school all the other days. So I worked in Wiley, Texas as a youth director, super part-time, one day a week, from like 7 in the morning till 10, 11 o'clock at night while I was working on my Master's of Divinity. Now, there happened to be a a colleague of mine that was two, three years ahead of me, um, and they actually worked in Oklahoma and drove back and forth, and their car had broken down, and they needed 50 more dollars to fix it. Now, have I, have I reminded you that I had no money? Chantel was working full-time at the university in case I lost my scholarship, uh, which was not a high-paying job either. It was an entry-level job. And we were literally um, going every place that had free food um, and eating that food and then figuring out how we were going to make it the next day. Now, here's the thing about that relationship with that colleague. It used to be warm and friendly and loving, we would sing worship songs together, we would gather around the piano, uh, and we would sing together, we would pray together, if I had a problem, I would go to them, but not after that fifty bucks and the thing was I didn't even care about it. I mean, I thought they would pay me back, and then they didn't and then I thought it was getting weird, and it was, and then i I, I, I finally after three months, they, just would, they would avoid me. Like every time I'd come to class, they would go the other way. I would see them on the quad. I'd see them in the library. They would go the other, and the relationship just broke because they never said thank you. They never paid me back. And so after about six months of this, I was like, that relationship is gone. It's just gone. And so I actually went to them and I said, listen, I don't care if you ever pay me back. I just want to be friends again. They never talked to me. I came back to the conference, and even years later, I would be in a meeting, and they would try to be someplace else. They were unwilling or unable to say thank you or just be grateful for a simple act. I don't know if, if shame or guilt or whatever else happened, but that relationship absolutely broke down because there was no, there was no closing of the loop. Does this make sense? This happens to people all the time. And, and by the way, never loan money to people unless you're willing to lose the relationship because it happens even if you don't want it to. Because you can't control the other side. So here's the thing. What does Jesus say about this gratitude and gratitude, this circle of, of the way it goes and returns? That's the way it's supposed to work. So the story that we come across in Luke is this, that on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village. How many lepers? Ten of them approached him, and they kept their distance. Now, if, if you've been to Israel or, or you, you know about this, the Galilee is up here, see Galilee. And so if you're going to head to Jerusalem, you... You don't go through the mountains. You come down here, down the Jordan River where it's flat, and you take a a right at Jericho if you're heading to Jerusalem. That's the way you do it. That's what Jesus was doing. So when he gets about halfway there, he comes into this area of Samaria, and that's where the ten lepers are. And so it's on the way to Jerusalem. uh, These ten lepers approach Jesus. Now, that's going to be important to the story later on. Now, leprosy was thought to be contagious, so they were outside the village. You could say they were outcasts because they were cast out. Now, and leprosy in those days could be any number of skin diseases. And so around here, we would call it allergy season, you know, when, when people kind of break out. People didn't know. All they knew was it might be contagious, so you had to be away, and, and, and you didn't know when it was going to come, you didn't know when it was going to leave. And so if it actually left you, you would have to go to the priest, and the priest would check you out and make sure that for public health reasons you could actually come back into the community. Now, when they said they kept their distance, I mean, they kept their distance because people were afraid. Um, And keeping their distance at times meant 50 yards away. And so if the wind was blowing, if they were on the windward side and the wind was going by them, you'd be 50 yards away, right? Um, And they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean. And they would have to make sure that everybody uh, could stay away from them so they wouldn't be infected. And so when Jesus sees them, which is remarkable in and of itself, that the scripture says he sees them, he notices them. And because, you know, like many of us, it, it's easy to avert your eyes from people you don't want to see. But Jesus sees them. And they called out to Jesus. And they said, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Why would they do that? Not, nothing's happened. Well, they knew, I mean, in this hope that they would actually be cured, cleaned. Healed, that's the only reason you would go to the priest, was so that you could be made right with community. But they hadn't been healed yet, right? So Jesus says, he sees them and he says, go show yourselves to the priest. This is before they have anything to show, friends. They actually have to just take it on Jesus' word, on God's word, that something's going to happen. They don't know what, they don't know when, but they're sure hoping it's before they get to the priest, because if they get to the priest in their current condition, he's going to cast them out again. And he's going to be angry with them. And it's going to be harder for them to come to him again. And so there's some risk in this of going to see the priest. You see, Jesus was asking them to do exactly what he asked us to do. And that's to walk by faith before we know the end of the story. He asked us to go and do what he's asking us to do before we see the evidence of our healing, before we see the evidence of the new way of life that he's asking us and, and inviting us into Andy Stanley, when he preaches this text, says it like this. He says, walking by faith is what he's asking them to do, asking us to do. Is taking God at his word and doing what you would do if you believe God was going to keep a promise. That's something, isn't it? That you're actually walking into it, assuming, counting on, that God's going to keep his word. That God's going to keep his promise. That's what the lepers did. That's a part of their healing process. And I want you to see what happened next. As they went, they were made clean. That's the life of faith in a nutshell. Then one, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, if I was healed and I'd been away from my family and my friends and my job, I would be so ready to get on to my life, to get to the priest, to see that I was clean, to move on. Not this guy. This guy's like, wow, Jesus healed me. I've got to go back and say thank you. So he does. He gets to Jesus and he throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. That's what he did. I mean, that seems like the right thing to do, doesn't it? That's what he does. He goes, wow, I'm healed. He turns around, he runs to Jesus, and he dives, and, like into home base, dives at his feet. The NRSV says that he prostrated himself, which is to be face down, flat out on the ground, and to touch the feet of the person that you're worshiping. And that's what he did. And he thanked him. He's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for what you did. And then you get this little throw-off line that we don't pay much attention to, but the Jews would have been like, What? He was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. He wasn't Jewish. The other nine were. There were ten of them. Nine of them Jewish, religious folks, who knew the priest, knew what they were doing. And this guy was a Samaritan. The only one who turned around to say thank you to Jesus. To show gratitude for his healing. To own what had happened for him. I want you to see Jesus' response. Because it's pretty telling. Jesus basically, when this guy is on the ground, he has three questions. Maybe it's a question you might have, right? You heal 10 people. You say, Go anyway. You know you're going to make them clean. They're made clean. And then Jesus says, Wait a minute. We're not 10 made clean? That's his question. That's question number one. That's what he says. We're not 10 made clean? Hmm. And then he asks the second question in case we missed it Where are the nine? I could have sworn there were 10 of you guys. But there's just one of you. What's going on? You see, here's here's the thing about the nine. I think that they're much like we are. We're busy people. We're, We're happy. We're grateful. Oh, my gosh, we're grateful. If I were to ask you, if we were to ask the nine lepers that were healed, hey, are you glad that Jesus healed you? They'd be like, yeah. Jesus is awesome, man. He healed me. I'm back at work. Things are better. I got insurance. I mean, all the things that I wanted, I got. They're happy about it. They are thrilled about Jesus back there, wherever he is. I mean, he's a great guy. He's a good guy. We love Jesus. He's my buddy, Jesus. But I'm not, going to turn, I'm not turning my life around to go thank him. I'm just getting on with my life because I got what I needed, right? We see this in church all the time. Oh, yeah, my kid needs a good youth group. Great. Kid gets out of youth group, disappear. Oh, I need, I need my kids acting out at school. I need them to have more socialization. I'm going to get them in the nursery so they can eat the kids at church. And I'm just teasing Right, It happens. I mean, don't think we don't know these things. Right? I come, I get what I need, and I'm out. I'm not saying thank you to Jesus. I'm not grateful. I'm just moving on. Now, I like him. I'm happy about it. See, here's, here's the temptation. Here's the, here's the real question for all of us. They felt it. They just didn't express it. They felt that they were grateful people. They were happy about it. But they didn't do anything about it. They just went on with their life. Right. You know how this works. You tell your boss about how great your wife is, but do you ever tell your wife? Right? You tell your children how great their dad is, but do you tell your husband? You tell your friends how great your parents are. Oh, come on! I'm just teasing about that. That would never happen. Would you ever? Have you ever stopped to thank your parents? To sit them down and say, look, I, I really appreciate what you do, that I can be in one of the best school systems in, in all the state. I can get an education here. I thank you for taking me to my basketball tournament and my, my soccer games and freezing in the, in the spring soccer and dying in the summer heat of baseball. And, and thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Do you ever do something real to thank those people? Are you grateful to them? Have you ever done something to show your gratitude to them? Or are you just happy about it and tell other folks? You see, I think it's true. Unexpressed gratitude communicates gratitude, doesn't it? So Jesus asks a third question. He says, can none be found to return and praise God except for this foreigner? I mean, he calls it out. He's like, look, all the other people were supposed to know. This guy, I wouldn't expect anything from him. But he's the outsider. He's the foreigner. He's the one that does the right thing. If you follow the life and teaching of Jesus, this is a recurring theme, by the way, over and over and over again, saying, those who you think are out are in, in my kingdom. Really, none of the religious folks get this. It's only the Samaritan. He's the only one that gets it. It's like, come on. So, uh, the scripture says it really plainly. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Boom, boom. Jesus could not be more clear about this gratitude and gratitude thing. He takes it very seriously. This isn't a parable, by the way. It's not a story. This really happened. Now, you may know the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you don't, I invite you to look it up. It's a pretty good story. It's it's on the same theme. Now, that is a story. So here's here's the thing that Alan Culpepper writes. He says, gratitude may be the purest measure of one's character and spiritual condition. I think he's right. I think he's right. And because that's true, I want you to know that uh, the leadership of your church, your ad council, your finance team, uh, the the leaders of your church, the staff of your church, and particularly the clergy of your church, take this very seriously. Um, so I want to invite you uh, to hear Reverend Brandon Blackson tell a little bit about his story, uh, about gratitude in his life and his family and how he lives that out.
1: Thanks, Mark. One of the ways that, um, that we try to live that out, we try to live in gratitude to God for Um, everything that we have, but I think you all know that the um, best measure of our priorities is our calendar and our checkbook, and so we try to set to, if being a disciple of Jesus is the most important thing in our life, we try to live that out, and so what Courtney and I decided when we were married is that we were going to tithe, that we were going to give 10% of our income to God's work in the world through the church, and that's been a priority for us for that since then, now there were times whenever that was difficult, um, there were some times early on whenever things were challenging, and we kind of held back. And uh, whatever the reason was, whether a car broke down or we just weren't very smart with how we spent the previous month, those things happened. And we kind of realized that, that as long as we made it a priority, that it was going to be enough, that we were going to have enough. Because all the things that really had to get paid got paid, and, and so we started from that point just at the very beginning, every time we got paid, as long as we didn't forget our checkbook, that we were going to give to God. And if we did forget it, we made it up the next week. It's, uh, it was also challenging whenever we had our first child. Uh, that was three years ago, and um, all of a sudden we found out that we were pregnant, and, uh, and terms like deductible and out-of-pocket max became really important to me, and they previously hadn't been. And so uh, we had suddenly this significant expense that uh, was a significant portion of our income, and we had to make sacrifices. We had to change the way that we were spending our money. But there was one thing that we didn't change, and that was the amount that we were giving to God's work because it was too important. It was a priority. It, It said what was most important in our lives, and so we maintained that. We got rid of cable. We ate out less. We did a few other things, but we maintained that. Earlier this year we also had the opportunity to move to Edmond and um and we'd previously lived in church owned homes and and had to buy a house here i guess got to buy a house here i need to be careful about my language but we had that opportunity but it wasn't something that we were expecting we we didn't expect to move and so we uh hadn't saved up for it we hadn't prepared for it and uh, and so that was something that was a challenge and we've made other sacrifices again cutting from different areas but but again we didn't cut from our giving to god because that was too important that's a priority for us and it's at the center of who we are. And so that's something that we try to live out, that we try to be faithful with, but, but that's at the center of, of what's most important to us as, as followers of Jesus Christ, is putting him first in everything. And that's how our family does it with our finances.
0: We all show you your appreciation for Uh, We were in our capital campaign, and and we got uh, a pledge for the capital drive before he was even on staff because he knew he was going to come on staff. It's nothing they had to do. It's something they chose to do because they wanted to be a part of what God was doing here. Uh, And it really touched me. Uh, It makes a wonderful difference. So thank you. Please thank Courtney on our behalf as well for your investment here. So this is what Jesus says. This is Jesus' statement. Now remember, this guy is on his face touching Jesus' feet. Jesus says this. Get up, get up, on your way. Your faith has healed and, say it with me, saved you. Wow. Now, now this ought to be beautiful and terrifying all at the same time for us, friends. Because the reality of this story is this. Ten were healed that day. One was saved. Nine got what they wanted from God and went on. But only one developed a relationship with the Master Jesus. And that's what happens in heaven. It's about a relationship with Jesus. So so 10 people got what they wanted from God, but only one was saved, is what the scriptures say. See, the great thing about heaven is that there's no rejection there. So so don't, don't mishear me. Everybody is welcome in heaven who, in God's good judgment, can possibly stand it. Because what happens in heaven, make no mistake, Is that heaven is a place of eternal praise, eternal thanksgiving, and not to you, to God. That's what happens in heaven. People don't gather around you and tell you how great you are. You gather around Jesus and and praise him. That's why we worship like we worship. It's practice for heaven. So the question for us, of course, is well, do you have any practice yet? Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to say thank you to Jesus? Do you know how to live a life of thanks to Jesus? Have you started thanking God? Because that's what happens in heaven. And, and catch this what happens in heaven is we're not thanking God for what He did for us on earth, but simply for who God is. Because He's holy and perfect and beautiful and right in every way. And and there, there ought to be something inside of us that can't help but say thank you, express our gratitude. Because, I'll say it again, unexpressed gratitude is actually rejection. Isn't that true? That if we don't actually express it, if we actually don't step into it, then we're actually rejecting the giver. Now, I, I, know, I know we're just a few weeks from this, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into it, but I'm, I'm trying to help you here. I really am. So anyone who has cooked the family meal at Thanksgiving understands this, don't you? you started your grocery shopping, your planning, your brining of the bird, if you're doing it right, cooking... <laughs> right, getting everything hot at the same time, all the different dishes, oh yeah, they want uh, green bean casserole, they need corn souffle, this person needs pumpkin, that person needs apple, that person needs pecan, and and basically, then you get to that moment, that one moment after all the preparation, and you finally do it, you call the slackers to the table, all the other people who have done nothing, and someone who will remain unnamed has the audacity to say, In a minute, it's almost (laughs) halftime. You know what happens next, and it's not good. (laughs) By not being responsive to the gifts around us, by not saying thank you, the message we are sending is that we're entitled. Isn't that true? Now, we would never say we act as entitled people. We hate that about millennials, but not about ourselves. We act as if we're entitled, that someone should make a meal for us because we drove 30 minutes across town. Right? So here's our action steps, friends. With gratitude, if it isn't expressed, it doesn't exist. We need to own this. With gratitude, if it isn't expressed, it doesn't exist. It's not real. It's just talk. So, with the grateful thing moving its way around, who comes to mind? You see, uh, there were ten lepers. Did did I tell you this story? There were ten of them. And only one, the outsider, the foreigner, comes back to Jesus and closes the loop. He's the one that brings it around. He does it, and he says, thank you. And Jesus says, oh, get up. Go on. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Yes, we're in right relationship. Go on. For all the rest of his life. And there's something deep within us, in our bones, that we all know this is the way it works. Um, It's been a while since I've been to a little kid birthday party because our boys are in college now. But you you remember this, right? You you invite people over for the birthday party. Uh, Your child, whom you love, uh, is surrounded by friends or family, and they're given a gift And the little boy is going to open the gift, and inside there's going to be a toy of some kind, maybe a football or something else that he wants to go and play outside. And so he opens it up, and he feels it, and he's like, yes, I'm going to go. Maybe it's a video game, and he leaves. And right outside the frame is a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa, and they're they're like freaking out because the kid looks terrible. He's greedy. He's unthankful. He's ungrateful, that ugly word we talked about before. Any of you parents been in this spot? You have a birthday party, the kid opens up, they're so excited, they go to play, and you say, like, you're like, what do you say? And they are like, I'm out. No, no, what do you say? Right? Isn't that what you do as a parent or a grandparent? You're like, what do you say? Do you, do you guys not know what to say? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right? What? I was going to be up here a long time. What do you say? Thank you. There's some. We know this in our bones. In gratitude, ungratefulness is so ugly so ugly. We have to learn how to become people of thanks and gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Apparently, it's a a midnight party where the girls have already had their showers, but beyond that, right? You see, gratitude closes the loop in our relationship with God and others and others. What would it be like if from now on, every person that you met, you just thanked them? You said thank you to them for something. Thank you for being my friend for 10 years. Thank you for cooking for me today. Thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. Thank you for the phone call. Thank you for the text. Thank you for the email. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you for investing in the things of God. You see, be a returner because as a returner, someone who is willing to go back to those who enable them to move forward. Isn't that who we want to be? People will say, you know what, I'm going to stop for a second and not move on with my own life and my own agenda. And I'm going to turn around and say thank you to the people that got me here. And then I hope that includes God. So are you willing to be the one? Because make no mistake, we live in a culture that is not grateful these days. I mean, that, that's not a secret. So you say, but I might be the only one. Yeah, you might. you might. You might be the only person at the dinner table that thanks the person who cooked the meal. And everybody else at the table might look and be like, suck up. Yeah, maybe they will. That doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. Be a leader. Be the one. Are you willing to be the one? I pray to God that we will.